We begin a sermon series this week. It has special liturgy that goes with it in the confession and absolutions, the prayers of the day. And they all center around the gospel readings assigned during this season. But in each one of the readings from Matthew, you will find a very interesting question presented, either from the disciples to Jesus or from Jesus to those who are gathered. Now, hard questions. What exactly are we talking about? Well, they're questions, you know, that make you think. Which would you rather? You know, we, we play this a lot in confirmation. You know, would, would you rather find the love of your life today, the one you'll spend happily ever after with today, or would you rather win the mega billion lottery tomorrow? I know, either one's got its positives. Which is it going to be? And so you have to make your decision. Other hard questions are seen more in the junior high sleepovers, you know, the truth or dare. You know, you're, you're presented with a, a very awkward moment in which you have to reveal something or you have to do something very awkward. And so the, the question is, which are you going to do? If you do the truth, you might have to share who you're crushing on right now with all your junior high friends. Maybe you don't want to do that. Instead, you choose dare. And so a kid pulls out a dead cricket and says, you got to eat a bug. Well, hard questions uh, aren't just for the junior high, but for all of us. And, and trick questions are designed so you don't see. There's something hidden there that if you knew it, it would be obvious. But since you don't know that, you're going to blunder into the wrong answer. One of the classic trick questions was presented to Jesus. He was standing in front of his adversaries, and they asked Jesus, hoping to put him in a bind, Shall we pay Caesar's taxes or not? And all of the Jewish people inclined their ear to hear Jesus. What's he going to say? Will he be our revolutionary, our Messiah to fight Rome and never have to pay taxes again? We'll see. As Jesus considered his options, of course, he sees the trick. Where's your coins? Let's see a coin. And there's Caesar's image Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Expertly, Jesus extracts himself from the trick question, showing that he knows exactly what's going on. Well, finally, the hard questions that we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks puts us in that awkward position where we have to see what's really going on inside of us, and we find that the hard question moves us out of our comfort zones that there will be required within each one of us a spirit-led change if we are going to be led by Jesus into the answer to our hard question. And so let's begin. The very first one is presented to Jesus by the disciples, but you need to be very careful about what is before this question in, in reading. If you noticed in the text, it said, at that time. Whoa, why is the time so significant? If you read just a little bit before this passage, you will find that Jesus has intently now made his way to Jerusalem. He's informed his closest friends that he will be handed over. He will suffer. He will die. 
In other words, the greatest one of all times is getting ready to exit the stage. And now, who will take center? Who will be the number one, the number two? Now, these are not idle questions. You and I deal in this world of who is the greatest all of the time. Because the people in charge, the people who are with the power and the authority, they're the ones who, you know, usually end up pretty well in life. They're the ones who make the money, who have the advantages. And in the world of the disciples, they will be the deciders. People will be coming to the number one greatest and asking, what shall we do? And there's a certain amount of comfort when you're in control, right? Who loves being out of control? No one ever. Okay, so this is the world we live in. Jesus, who is the greatest? Now, when you are a teacher, you live for the moment when your students are asking questions. Even when they're way off base like this, at least they're in the ballpark of where you want to teach them and lead them. And it, all the hard work's been done of just gaining their interest. Like, are you listening? You know, and, and, and gaining their uh, itching someplace that you want to scratch. And they're already there. Jesus, tell us. Now, Jesus truly is the master teacher, and he knows that just simply giving an audible answer often goes in one ear and out the other. And so he is going to employ a visual and an object lesson. We tend to learn best when there's something spoken and something seen. And so Jesus calls to him a child and says, unless you change, that should have been a warning track, but it wasn't caught very quickly. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you and I see Jesus pull a sweet little kid off and say, now you need to be like a child, we kind of smile, we feel a little bit warm in our heart, and we agree with Jesus, oh, you're so right. Because we have a very different uh, feeling uh, about children than they did in the first century. In the first century, uh, it was quite dumbfounded, dumbstruck of why Jesus would ever suggest we become like children. You see, in our modern society, we have so elevated children to see them as inspirational. They know stuff. They're good. They're innocent. Yes, we should be like them because we are so far from being like that innocent child. And so when we hear Jesus say this, and we start to have those feelings, I need you to stop it, okay? Because you'll never get to the answer. You'll never understand anything of the, what Jesus is going to lead us if you think he brought a little kid in front of them to think, all you ever need to learn, you learned in kindergarten, people. That is wrong, okay? So wrong. If Jesus were to present to us an object lesson, something for us to really be as just as dumbstruck as the disciples. If there's going to be something there for us to look at and go, why would I ever want to be that? This is not inspiring me in the least. What would Jesus put before us today? I'm sure you could come up with many different answers, but this is the one that I thought made the most sense if you want to feel what they felt and if you want to have the same reaction of questioning of Jesus. It would not be a child, but it would be a hospice patient at the very end of life. 
Perhaps you've seen that sad and pathetic time of our lives at the very end when all you can do is have your mouth open and you've got this gurgle, you've got this cough, this wheeze, this death rattle in you. You can't open your eyes anymore. You can't see, you can't interact with anyone. You've lost all control of your bowels. Everyone around you must care for absolutely every need that you have. The only thing that you can barely do is exist and you're waiting for death. Unless you turn and become like this, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There is absolutely nothing inspiring of a hospice patient to us. This is the very life that we desire to avoid at all costs. Or you might be thinking, you know, I think the preacher got it wrong, and I think he's just making some kind of big point, don't know what it is, but it's not that. Okay, all right, you can go there, but you'll never get to where Jesus has answered the question. You see, you and I, we're on a greatness project every day of our life. We're always looking for our advantage so that we can remain in control, so that we can have our power and authority, so that we can look at a child and go, yes, I could be better if I was more innocent like a child. So we could, we could look at a child and go, yeah, they knew stuff and, and I should be more like that. But you know what we can't do? We can't look at this and go, I, I can't get anything out of this. How will this give me power and authority? How will this allow me to affirm myself and to justify myself to myself that I'm okay? I need something very different than this. Now you know what the disciples were feeling. Perhaps you can hear the answer of Jesus. For what does it mean who is greatest in the kingdom of God? But it is those who have been brought by the Spirit to realize they are absolutely and utterly helpless to change, to be what God demands, to have a life in which we do not use our power and our authority to make ourselves great. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And it is to be loved first by Jesus. The hospice patient can do nothing but receive the care, the love of being cleaned. Their mouth, their dry mouth, swabbed with water, their head patted, their hand held, assuring words that all will be well. We are right here for you. Unless you become like this, and this too a gift by the Spirit, utterly helpless in the care of Jesus, you will never become great. For as we shoot for greatness, you'll never get it. But if you strive for something else, this something else that the Spirit is answering right now, this helplessness before God, which this helplessness then is a confession. Jesus, I use absolutely everything about me, my intelligence, my wealth, my status, my position to stay in control of my life, to put others in their place. I am eager to remind people I pay the mortgage. I'm eager to remind people I know I have my way. You see, our, our greatness projects have only to do about ourselves and not the kingdom or the love of our neighbor. Jesus, 
I confess my brokenness and that I cannot change myself. Now, if you want to see true greatness, you look at Jesus, but you don't look at him as he's walking on the water or as he's commanding the wind and the waves. You look at the greatest point of the life of Jesus as he himself, his mouth is dangled open and he's got the death gurgle in his lungs. He can't move his arms, they're nailed. He can't do anything for himself. He is utterly helpless and dependent upon his Father, for he dies for the sins of the world, for your and my abuse of our power and greatness. There Jesus provides everything for us. And in rising from the dead, he truly can minister to us his forgiveness, his grace, and, and the really wonderful thing is, you don't have to wait till you're dead to get it. You know, when we hear Jesus say, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, he's not just talking about when you die and go to be with him. He's talking about, you can't be with me right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, that was John's message. That was Jesus' message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is present in the presence of Jesus. You cannot be with him, or as Jesus would say, you cannot be my disciple, even if you were to cut your hand off or gouge your eye out. Our greatness programs are not diminished by a lack of limbs, but they are there at the cross, answered for. And in the resurrection of Jesus, a grace and a new life is offered to you and to me. And this greatness, then, is a living right now in uh, this grace. And, and how do you do that? How, how do you have a greatness program in which you are taking your life and, and, and living in the grace of Jesus? It's being led by the Holy Spirit. You see, you do have authority. You do have wealth. You do have status. You do have power. And now, no longer being bound by the slavery of I must be in control, but Jesus, you are in utter control. There's nothing out of your control, not even death itself. Jesus, under your control, under your leading, I now use my abilities in the service and the care of the love of my neighbor. That's who the greatest people are those led by Jesus in a life of love. Amen.